If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter 21, and we will begin reading in verse 1 in uh, just a moment. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. And today we're going to look at the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Because this is what is commonly called Palm Sunday. And um, as I thought about what to preach, and I tried to pray about uh, what uh, what to speak to you about today, my first thought was to focus on the crucifixion, because that is... That's really where the the penalty for our sin was paid. That's where Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. But uh, but I decided to go with Matthew 21 and the the triumphal entry because um, this is, I mean, this is just full of meaning. And and many times we read this and we say, okay, well, this is, you know, this is maybe kind of a nice event. This is maybe kind of an odd event that he came into Jerusalem this way. But uh, but it is chock full of meaning. And just just so we remember, of course, we've been looking at, at Luke's gospel for uh, an extended amount of time, and, and Jesus in Luke's gospel, where we are, he's making his way towards Jerusalem, where he will suffer and die on the cross. And so, um, where we're we're kind of fast forwarding in his life a little bit. So, just put where we are in Luke on hold, and uh, we're going to jump ahead to uh, the the last week in Jesus's life. Okay, so so where he is in his life, this happens on a Sunday. On Friday, he's crucified, and on the next Sunday, he rises again. So that's just kind of, again, I, I know we've been talking about this stuff, but just to kind of just make a mental break from where we've been to where we are now. So if you found Matthew 21 and verse 1, if you're able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's Word, and we will read down to verse 17. It says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey donkey tied there, and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and, and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds were going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling, do- selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Thank you. may be seated. Now, there are three main things I want you to see in our text today. The first is that this was a prophetically significant event. This was prophetically significant. Now, if you've been following along uh, for a while, like I said, we, we've been in Luke's gospel, and, and we're, we're fast-forwarding just a little bit in his life. But, uh, but, but where we are now, Jesus has, has 
made his way to Jerusalem. And you'll notice that, that it says in, uh, in the text, right at the beginning, that he, he sent some of his prophets, or some of his um, disciples, to get a colt, to get a young foal of a donkey. Now, it's, it's significant. When, when we read what happens, it should really cause our eyes and ears to perk up. Because uh, for, for one reason, this is the only time that Jesus is ever mentioned riding any animal in the whole Gospels. He's never mentioned doing anything except walking, uh, uh, riding in a boat, and riding this donkey, as, as far as I can remember. But I know he's never, he, never does, he never rides any animal other than this one in the Bible. So that should cause us to pay attention. But second, all four Gospels mention this event. Now, many times a, a teaching or an event will be mentioned in maybe uh, two or three Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have many of the same stories, many of the same uh, incidents recorded in, in their text. But very few things are recorded in all four Gospels. But this is something that shows up in all four. And John, he does not record the method by which Jesus gets this colt, but he does record that Jesus gets the colt, rides into Jerusalem, and he too records this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Now I want you to look again at your Bible at verse 4. This is a fulfillment, he says, of prophecy. And it's important to note that these prophecies that were given in the Old Testament were significant. In other words, the, the Old Testament prophets, when they were writing, they didn't record, you know, um, on uh, Sunday, July 8th, a canary is going to sit outside the window of Judy as she bakes an apple pie. These are not meaningless details of a mundane life that are, that are foretold. They point to milestones in God's redemptive plan. And that's easy enough to see when we read things like... Um, the, the birth of Christ, right? So we, we have texts about uh, it being a virgin birth. We have texts that, that, that say he's, the, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Um, we, we see all these texts that, that point to him um, maybe in, in his life and, 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 and his descendants, uh, uh, his being a descendant of King David, for instance. Or we have texts that talk about his healing ministry or, or that talk about his his uh, vicarious death on the cross on behalf of sinners. We have all these things that point to different milestones in Jesus' life, and one of them is in our text today. Now, I want you to look at, at the text again, verse, verse 5 and following. Matthew quotes one text, and he refers to another Old Testament prophecy. One is from Isaiah, and the other is Zechariah. Now, Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11, he, he makes reference to it. It says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And then Zechariah 9.9, which is more directly quoted, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And it's significant that this text was almost universally understood by the rabbis to talk about the coming Messiah. So God told his people, this is what it's going to look like when the Messiah comes. This is going to be his character. This is going to be his nature. When you see this, you need to pay attention. It's like God's saying. But not only that, he also told them when it was going to happen. Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26 says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem... Until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And those are, are 
figurative things talking about a week of years or, or a period of seven years. So one week of years is seven years. So 69 weeks, 69 groups of seven, until the Messiah comes, uh, there will be uh, 69 weeks, and it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress, and then the Messiah will be cut off, and so on and so forth. So God says, this is when it's going to happen. When it does, this is what it's going to look like. This, this is how you're going to identify the Messiah. I mean, if you've been down Highway 65, all those signs that tell you about Branson, it's like all these billboards are in the Scripture saying, this is Jesus. And there are more signs in Scripture that point to who Jesus is than billboards for Branson. I mean, it is, it is plain as day, this is the Messiah. And this is significant because this is when the Messiah, the King, is being presented to the nation. This is when, this is when God's man is finally going to Jerusalem. He's the Davidic king. He's the root and the branch of Jesse. He is the, the, the Messiah. He is the king. He is the prince of peace. He is the king that God said he would send. And somewhere in heaven, I was wondering if maybe there wasn't a drum roll as he was going into Jerusalem. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? Here comes Jesus. God said, this is when it's going to happen. This is how you're going to know that it's him. And we know the rest of the story. He wasn't accepted. He was rejected. He was despised and forsaken of men. He was welcomed with hosannas on Sunday, but condemned with crucify him on Friday. Here comes the king to Jerusalem, to the capital city. The king came to his kingdom, and rather than accept him and worship him and set him up as king, they rejected him, called for his death, and they murdered him. He did nothing but good and merciful acts for people. But people loved darkness rather than light. And they hated him because of his goodness. They hated him because he told them the truth. The king came in peace, and the subjects of the kingdom murdered him. It was a prophetically significant event. Now this didn't take God by surprise. It was all part of the plan of salvation, but it makes it no less tragic. So the first thing is that this was prophetically significant. The second thing I want you to see is it was culturally understood. It was culturally understood. Now, now, um, obviously the people didn't have the benefit of all of Scripture like we have. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the apostles who, who had written these things. They didn't have uh, two millennia of Christian scholarship. They didn't have all that. So it's not a surprise that we have a fuller picture than what they had. But they had enough to know that Jesus was the Messiah. And it's plain that they understood uh, on some level what Jesus was claiming when he entered Jerusalem this way. Look again at verse 8. It says that they paved the way with clothing and palm branches. Now to us that may seem kind of strange, but it would have been pretty expected then. Because if a king would come to an area, there's all kinds of fanfare. When a king came to the area, his way was made special in some way. And, and we see biblical examples of this. For instance, in the Old Testament, Jehu was a man who was anointed as king one time. And after that happened, as he was descending the steps from the room where he was, the people that were with him began to lay out their clothes on the steps. So he, he didn't have to walk on the steps like a normal man. They, he, they, they paved the way with their garments. Um, I mean, we do this some today. When, 
I don't think they do this now. It, at weddings, when, when I got married, it was still tradition. Before the, the, the bride came down, all that, there was a runner. You know what I'm talking about? It, and I'm not talking about somebody who would, who would move really fast. I mean, it was like a, I don't remember if it was like a, a cloth or paper or something. That they would roll out before the, the bride came down. And, and even, even today, one of the things, they, they drop rose petals on the ground. Have you ever wondered why on earth would you put flower petals on the on the on the ground? It doesn't make any sense. But you're doing it because you're you're paving the way. You're making that way special for the person that's coming. At at uh, award ceremonies, they roll out the red carpet. I mean, we we do something similar in in our context to what they were doing, and and so they were paving the way with their garments for the king. And the, these palm branches, the, uh, Matthew doesn't record their palm branches, other Gospels do, but palm branches were used, they'd be waved and things like that as a sign of military victory. So these people knew that Jesus was claiming to be king. But notice what it says in verse 9. Specifically, notice what they say in verse 9. They say, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, Hosanna was a, is a word that means save or, or save now or, or bring salvation. And it was a word that was commonly used if you were addressing a king and you wanted him to intervene. You would say, Hosanna, intervene, save me, bring assistance, bring help, bring salvation to me. Now, they were not asking for salvation from sin. They wanted salvation from the Romans, who were the occupying military force at the time. And, uh, and, and so they said, Hosanna, and they used that phrase, Son of David. This is a, a messianic title. They recognized that Jesus was more than just a man. If you look at verses 10 and 11, notice what they say. When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was searched, saying, Who is this? And look at their answer. They didn't say, That's a great question. I don't know. But we got caught up in the mix, and it was just real exciting, so we started saying it too. No, notice what it says, verse 11. The crowds were saying... This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. At the very least, they recognized that he was a prophet and quite possibly the prophet. What do I mean by the prophet? Well, if you'll notice in, in the scripture, sometimes like John the Baptist will come onto the scene and they'll say, are you the prophet? What prophet are they talking about? Well, what they're talking about is one that was foretold back in Deuteronomy 18. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, God said to Moses, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will shall speak to them all that I command him. So at the very least, they recognize he is a prophet from God. Quite possibly they recognize that he is the prophet that is foretold in Deuteronomy. They recognize he's the son of David. It's a messianic title. And they cry out, Hosanna, what you say to a king? They let out their, their clothes to pave the way for a king. So they knew on some level what Jesus was claiming in entering the city like this. It was culturally understood. In other words, ignorance is no excuse for these people. They knew what was happening at some level. The last thing I want you to see in his, um, in his entrance into Jerusalem is that it was religiously purifying. It was prophetically significant. It was culturally understood. And finally, it was religiously purifying now notice what happens now matthew he kind of condenses a couple of events because the other gospels tell us that jesus got to got to jerusalem he went into the temple he looked around saw all that was happening and then he left and then he came back the next day and 
drove out the money changers. Matthew condenses that and, and just skips the, the leaving and coming back and just tells us that Jesus ran out these religious leaders. He cleans house literally. Now, in the temple complex, the temple itself was not that big. So there's the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's the, that's the place that only one person can go. The high priest, he can only go there one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And outside that, there's the holy place. That's where the priest can go and minister. And that's the temple proper. But around the temple, and you've all seen probably pictures of the Temple Mount with the great big mosque that's there with the gold dome and everything. It's a pretty good-sized area. And they had all these different courts with walls and gates and everything. And certain people could go into those courts. And the closer that you got to the holy place, the fewer people could go. Okay, so the farthest away was a court called the Court of the Gentiles. That's where non-Jews could go. And so, so that's where, like you and I could go, if we, were going, if we were back then and we were worshiping the God of Israel, we could go into that court. We're still in the temple complex, but we can't get very close. Now, they had gates up and doorways, and they had signs that warned the people you can go this far, this far, this fur, that's, that's the Missouri version, this fur and no further, under pain of death. I mean, they, you could lose your life if you were a Gentile that went past that gate. Beyond that, there was the court of, the court of women. And beyond that, there's the, the court of uh, the Israelites. And, and so we have all these different levels. And again, the, the closer you got, the fewer people could get there. I say all that to kind of set this up because whenever Jesus goes into the temple, he's going to the temple complex, and where the Gentiles could go, in the court of the Gentiles, that's where they'd set up all this money changing. That's where they'd set up buying and selling the animals. Why would they do that? Because part of the Jewish law said, you have to go to Jerusalem, you have to go to the temple for Passover. Now, you can imagine, if you live a long ways away, what it would be like to try and get from point A to point B taking an animal for sacrifice. You don't have a, you don't have a stock trailer, you don't have a, a truck, you don't have anything. You've got to drive them by hand, or you've got to lead them. And you can imagine trying to take a sheep, or a, a cow, or a pigeon, and trying to, trying to transport those. It's not practical. On top of that, each little area had its own currency, its own money. And part of, the, part of the law said everybody has to pay, I think it's like a half shekel, to the, the, the temple. And it has to be a specific currency. So what do you do, and that currency is not widely circulated. So what do you do if you have uh, dollars and you need pesos, right? If you've ever traveled internationally, what do you do? You have to exchange it. And there's an exchange rate. And so what they would do is people couldn't bring all the animals and stuff while they traveled. So what they would do is they would go to Jerusalem and to pay that money, they would exchange their money. There would have to be an exchange rate. There would have to be a fee associated with that. And then they would have to take their money and buy these sheep and oxen and, and pigeons and all the, all the other critters that they were going to be sacrificing. They would have to buy those while they were there. Has anybody ever been to an airport and eaten food? What happens? Now, we went, to, we went to Wendy's one time at the airport. 
and I'm used to I'm used to I'm used to Wendy's deals on the app. I don't know if you get their app or not. If you don't, you ought to because you can get good deals on it. And I I had a pretty good system worked out because I'd eat out pretty often, and so I had it all worked out. I knew prices, and I knew there was going to be a little variance because we we're in a different location here in the states, and I knew it'd be a little bit higher because we're in the airport. And we got for our whole family, and I about had a coronary. I mean, it was like double what we were paying normally, and they didn't take any of the app stuff. And so I'm like, okay, at the very least, I can get credit on my app for points, and I couldn't even get that. Anyway, I sell that to say this. When somebody has you over a barrel, they'll charge you what they want. And so these people in the temple complex had all these animals, and they knew these, these pilgrims, these travelers, had to come and buy these things from them. And so they were extorting the people that were coming to worship God. They were extorting them with the money changing. They, they were extorting them with, the, with the, the animals. They were taking advantage of the people that were there to worship God. So that makes Jesus really upset. He calls them, says that you've, you've made my, uh, it should be a house of prayer, you've made it into a robber's den. But understand... I mean, some of those things are going to have to happen. The, the exchange rate and all that stuff, okay. But where was it happening? It was happening where the Gentiles were supposed to be praying and worshiping God. Now, has anybody ever come to you and start talking or start making noise when you're trying to pray? And you, what do you start doing? You start listening to that conversation that's happening over here. You start, you know, you, somebody turns the TV on while you're trying to pray, and you start watching it. You start listening, you just can't focus. That's what's happening in the court of the Gentiles. These people are there to worship God, and they have, I mean, you can imagine they're, they're there to pray, and there's mooing happening. There's, there's the, the bleeding of the sheep, and, the, and, and all the, there's, I mean, there's, there, there's haggling, and there's arguing, and there's all this ruckus. And Jesus is upset because this is the place that these Gentiles can come, the nations can come and worship God. And he says, you've, it's supposed to be a house of prayer. And you've taken it and made it into a robber's den. And so Jesus cleans house. It was religiously purifying. And look at verse 15, because you would think that the religious leaders, the scribes, Pharisees, these, the, the chief priests, that they would look at this and say, oh, I'm so glad that somebody finally got these guys out. Because Jesus had done this at the beginning of his ministry. Came back three years later, they're doing the same thing. You would think that they would be happy that that happened and that the Messiah that was clearly foretold was there. But instead, verse 15 says, they were upset. They were indignant. They were incensed. Why? Because they were complicit in the theft and the vice that was going on in the temple. But notice also verse 14. Back up one verse. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. That's significant because he does all kinds of healing ministries and, and miracles in, in the, the scriptures, in the, in the gospels. But it's significant here because the Levitical code said that priests who had some sort of like a, a handicap, like let's say they're missing a finger or, or missing an eye or, or something like that, they couldn't serve in the temple. And the Jews had evidently taken that Levitical requirement for the priests and had, had applied it to people who were even coming to worship. In other words, if you had a handicap, you were excluded. 
But Jesus healed them. He gave them a foretaste of his kingdom. The king came to his kingdom and he was rejected. Ignorance was not an excuse. The prophet said, this is when it's going to happen. The prophet said, this is how it's going to look when it does happen. Jesus fulfilled all those things. Ignorance was not an excuse. And it's easy to look at this and shake our heads at him, right? I mean, it's like, how could you people reject Christ? It was plain as day. But I want to tell you, today you have a similar choice presented to you. You have a choice of how you're going to respond to Christ. Are you going to accept Him or are you going to reject Him? And I just want to ask you, have you personally accepted Christ as your King? Because that's, that's who He is. He is the King of creation. Have you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior? Because if not, you have a responsibility today to do that. Ignorance is not an excuse because you've heard the truth. It's plain as the nose on your face that Christ is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised King. And if you've never turned to Him in faith, do that today. Repent of your sin and put your faith in Him. You say, but Pastor, I've done that. I think it's helpful around this time of year to remember that we don't deserve that. The reason that you and I, if you are a believer, the reason that you're a believer isn't because you're so special. The reason you're a believer and, and, and that God saved you is not because you're worthy. It's not because he looked at some good in you and said, you know what? I sure would like to have him or her on my team because they got something going on for them. No, he saved you based solely on his mercy and his grace. Why don't you stand with me as uh, musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just... I just encourage you to answer the question in your own heart. Is Christ your king? The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you done that? If you have done that, pray for that friend, that relative that maybe has not done that. Heavenly Father, We know, we recognize plainly that we do not deserve grace. We do not deserve salvation. We deserve judgment. We deserve condemnation. 
because of our sin. And God, we thank you that you have provided a way of escape for that. You've, you've sent Christ to pay that sin debt that we owe. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, if there's somebody who's uh, watching this online or some other time that's never done that, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Let them turn from their sin and, and call on you for salvation. God, again, we, we lift up our friends, our relatives, our co-workers, those people around us that mean so much to us that... Um, they maybe don't know you and ask that you would move in their lives too. In Jesus' name, amen. What song?